Ron and Anian. It seems like spring here in the studio, so maybe we'll all be thinking and talking about working on our cars uh, even more so. We've got the windows open in the studio, the sun's shining, coming in from the west. It's really great. After six hours of school, I had enough for the day. I hit the radio dial and turned the radio The Car Doctor. My question is, does the timing chain, is that known to break? No, the chains themselves, think of a bicycle chain and sprockets, Camille. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. On this particular engine, they're not known to break. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Start your engines. If they can, if they can't, then you want to definitely stick around this hour. It's Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at the helm at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. And uh, as we motor on down the road this hour, as we uh, get into our second hour of our weekend broadcast here on uh, on air and talk to you about your car and its problems. More information, obviously, about this show is at cardoctorshow.com. Of course, we're on the air or on the web. Um, tune in iHeart, iTunes, and you can uh, podcast from there as well, as well as click subscribe. Get Download an MP3 player on your phone or device and click subscribe and take us with you wherever you want to go. And we'll keep getting delivered, and it helps us. And uh, we appreciate the fact that so many of you are clicking subscribe. And um, I just saw our podcast numbers again. You know, Tom, the podcast numbers just keep going up. It's it's just kind of amazing. Um, yes, you are. Yeah, it's well, I, you know, I. Hey, it's a good show. It's got good information. It's got a good host. And by the way, you got two good sidekicks on this side of the glass. Well, I'll tell you what, the the engineering guys are. I'm just sitting here talking. You guys, you guys push the buttons. I'm still trying to figure out what all those red dials mean. What if I do this? Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> I learned that a long time because ago. you won't have a back wall in the yeah, studio. Yeah, go kaboom. So, but um, anyway, uh, I do want to do this real quick. I we like to do a repair of the week, and I with not, without making a whole bunch of fluff about it because the phones are so busy and backed up right now at eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Let me try and sneak this one in. I want to talk a little bit about fail safe, not the movie from nineteen sixty. Was it two or three with Henry Fonda about nuclear disarmament? But fail safe in a car. When a part fails, will the car get you home? Because that's built into a lot of vehicles. Well, I can tell you one that it's not. 2008 Ford Explorer XLT. Oh, they probably made, what, a gazillion of those? You know, there's a few of these out there running around. And this particular system is the 4x4 automatic, 4x4 high, and the 4x4 low button. So if you've got an XLT Explorer and your four-wheel drive system is that, where you've got the three buttons to the right side of the dash under the radio, it says 4x4 auto, 4x4 high, 4x4 low. Listen up. If you've got a car with an ABS light on, listen up, because you're going you're gonna to find out what probably you want to know as to why you want to maybe fix that. But then again, you might find out how lucky you really are. 2008 Explorer came into the shop this week. That's actually, it was the week before I've been busy. And I finally got around to diagnosing it this week. I had some time. And it was setting a fault code for an open left front 
wheel speed sensor circuit. Or actually, I'm sorry, no input. No input from the left front wheel speed sensor. It was registering open. Now, the 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 the, the glue or the, the, the snake in the grass here is the transmission was just replaced 158 miles ago. So, you know, as the attending physician, it... You're, it's not supposed to, but it does cloud your judgment. You're just trying to move cautiously. Because the problem with the car was you'd start it up, you'd put it in drive, and as you tried to roll down the road, it would bind up and start to lock up against itself and just not move. It was like a four-wheel drive vehicle on dry pavement binding to the point that it would stop. And you're thinking... Well, I guess they did something wrong at the trans shop. Like, the trans doesn't feel right in this car. And yet, that's not the problem. I put the car up in the air, scanned it for code, saw the input sensor fault, or the, the wheel speed sensor fault with the left front. And, you know what, let's try a few things. Put it up in the air. I looked at the transfer case. I've seen cases where on this particular system, if the transfer case is installed wrong, Maybe they've got a bracket on the wrong side of something, and it's not sitting exactly square. That can create a similar condition. Fluid level was good. It had fluid in the transfer case. I was thinking that it had been out on a bench. Maybe the, you know, maybe the fluid ran out and nobody ever refilled it. Nope, that wasn't it. Everything transmission transfer case-wise was correct. Didn't see a problem. So went to the next step, and after pulling codes, started the car up, put it in gear, Drove the car at 20, well, I didn't drive the car. Danny actually drove the car at 30 miles an hour on the lift, or tried to. Bucking and jerking and shaking and, you know, just convulsing. It was like the car was trying to throw up, but it couldn't. All right? It twitched every which way. The newest tool in the car doctor arsenal of diagnostics is from the folks at Snap-on. Snap-on makes a thermal imaging camera. And it's kind of neat. It's just it's it's a point and click thing, uh, you know. Took it out and I started to look at various places on the vehicle for heat sources that were erratic. Well, you know, not trying to get overcomplicated, but you're just looking for the obvious. You're looking for something that's askew. The right rear brake was 402 degrees. The left rear brake was 260 degrees. Both front brakes were 75. Danny wasn't stepping on the brakes, but the the brakes were being applied by the traction control command, which, for the record, we couldn't override and shut off. There's a button there for traction control. Couldn't turn it off. Now the left, but now the left front speed sensor started to make more sense to me. I scoped the left front. There was no signal out of the left front wheel bearing, and I. You know, could it be? I just can't believe Ford would leave this big a hole in the logic, and I'll explain this in a minute, that they would allow a car to do this. Pulled the left front wheel bearing out of the car. It it turned, but it wasn't happy. It just it grinding and clunking. Wasn't loose on the car, but it just it sounded like it had about four pounds of gravel in a two-pound sack when you were trying to turn it by hand on the bench. Put a wheel bearing in the car. The car's fixed. Every light on the dash went out. Traction control started working normally. The restraint control module, the airbag module was affected by this. The restraint control module was a problem. Everything came back to normal. And I thought about the thermal imager picture, and it made sense to me. 
What they're doing is, since it didn't see a signal out of the left front, it thought the car was in lockup on that wheel, and it was trying to correct it by applying the brake to the right rear. It was, you know, stick and rudder, like Uncle Steve would talk about with the airplane. It was trying to counteract and oversteer and trying to counteract wind on the left side when you can't raise your flap. Correction. It was trying to go into a correction. Here's the scary part, all right? Here's the part that really just made me look at it in awe. What if you were on your way to the hospital? This is the part I don't get. What if you were on your way to the hospital in this car and the ABS sensor failed? What if your wife was having a baby and you had to get her to the hospital? You're in an emergency situation and that that wheel speed sensor fails. You're stuck. When I tell you this car stopped, this car stopped. And you can make the argument, well, Ron, any car can break down and any car can have a failure, but that's not the point. I can't think of any other car that if the ABS system fails, the brakes don't work normally and the vehicle doesn't drive normally. You're just notified by a dash warning light that the ABS or the traction control has a problem and it won't work, but the car will still operate. It will still get you where you want to go. I found a bulletin after a little more research from Ford that talks about on this particular series of vehicle, 08 Ford Explorer XLT, if the tire diameter is more than a quarter of an inch different from tire to tire, tire wear, one tire new, one tire old. Here's that age-old question, right? Four tires, two tires, or one tire. If it's more than a quarter of an inch difference in circumference, you'll have this exact same problem, binding and shaking, Vehicle may not move. You got to think somebody's, somebody missed the point here. Somebody missed the point. Somebody is, you know, thick-headed, as my mother would say. My mother never swears. So I just wanted to bring it to light. That was one heck of a repair. Made me feel good because I, talking to Ford and talking to a few other people, nobody had a clue as to why that car was doing what it did. But that car went into fail-safe. That car's method of fail-safe was to do nothing, all right? It impersonated Congress. It sat there on its hands, and it didn't do a darn thing. And I was stunned. Now, if you're driving a car with an ABS light on, and you know who you are, and you're wondering, can that ever stop the car? If you'd asked me this question two weeks ago, I would say no. If you ask me the question now, I'm going to say I don't know because I don't know I don't know what they're thinking. And my point for all this, we were talking about this at the end of the last hour with regards to the question from the listener about new cars and where they're going with technology and start-stop technology. This is a fairly simple car. This is a 2008. This car is 10 years old in technology. And look at how it brought itself to a halt for a $300 part. What's going to happen on start-stop technology cars? What's going to happen on newer cars that look what they do? So just something to be aware of, something to think about. 855-560-9900. Sure shows a need for a good mechanic. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anany and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Now we're rolling. Let's get over and talk to Mike, Cape May, New Jersey. Some questions about a car purchase. Mike, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? How you doing, Ron? Good, man. What's going on? 
Hey, every year this uh, show gets more and more important, so I just wanted to thank you guys for uh, doing this. Yeah, it's only been um, um, 26 years now, so we're just kind of trying to figure out how much longer to, you know, it's like. <laughs> it's is it, is it's it, starting it, to come together. Yeah, it's just, we're just kind of getting our act together. It's and just it broken in. It's just broken in. You know you know what's really scary, Mike, as an aside? It's, it's not, you know, when somebody says, how long have you been on radio? I've got 26 years. That doesn't sound like a long time. It doesn't sound like a long time to me, okay? But when somebody says... You know, you've been on the, you've been on radio a quarter of a century. Now I feel old. All right, it's that quarter of a century thing. That's like wow. Uh, that's the part that gets me, and I'm just grateful yeah. to be here. And uh, you know, I enjoy this each and every week. So pay no attention to that. Yeah. So what can I do for you, sir? So um, way back in uh, 2005, I guess, when the uh, Dodge Magnum came out, the station wagon thingy there, I really wanted one, and I let my wife and sister-in-law talk me out of it because they said it looks like a uh, hearse. But now I'm six years old and I'm going to buy whatever I want. Ah, a boy. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, oh. it took me this long. Um, so I want to get your opinion on just the car overall, but specifically the transmission and the the five nine Hemi. Um, some of these cars are starting to show up now on the market with like seventy thousand or even less. Um, most of them are well over a hundred, but uh, once in a while you, you see one that looks pretty good, one owner, low mileage, and I'm just curious about the transmission and uh, and that Hemi. Let's talk about it from a different tack, okay? Uh, because the answer for the transmission and the the engine is really a simple one: how was it maintained and how was it used? If it's got maintenance records, if it's been you know, if it's had its fluids and filters and maintenance and carbon cleaning and all the other things you do to an engine and a transmission, you know, combined, they're okay. They hold up well, all right? The issue with Chrysler, as a rule, is parts. It really is. It's it's lack of parts. In there, There's two things Chrysler does very poorly in this mechanic's opinion, all right? The first is their scan tool is so frightfully expensive that an independent repair shop has a hard time justifying its existence in their bay. So subsequently, you, the vehicle owner, are either married to the dealer, which if that's where you want to be, I get that, that's fine, or or the other problem becomes that independent repair shop is going to use the best aftermarket scan tool they can find and have access to 75 80% of what they need to, not to be able to do everything. And that's okay, too. Everything has its limits. So, And I just don't get it. I don't understand any car company that, to tell you the truth, they should give out the scan tools and say, here, everybody's got the same scan tool. Now let the games begin. Let's let us let's let people get their car service based on talent. You want to see dealerships improve? All of a sudden they got independence breathing down their shoulders, and I shouldn't really say that, but that's the truth. You know, Let's level the playing field and have free competition for all. But once the car companies, but they won't. They won't give that up. That's my rant. Now, the reason the reason why you don't want to buy that car is parts. All right? And here's the biggest problem. That generation Dodge, Chrysler, Dodge, you know, same thing. Uh, we're starting to see them have issues with, and I won't say this on all of them, but that body style, that class car, the Hemis and so forth, are having issues, communication faults, a lot of Uke Network Series communication fault codes. And I've seen that repair be everything from a bad alternator, which is available, 
to a bad wiring harness, which is not available. And the wiring harness is coming up to be a fault more often than not. And, and so now the issue becomes, what are you going to do? And I'm not saying, you know, and Mike, I've got no way to tell you whether or not the one you're going to buy is going to have the issue. Okay? I've talked, right. I've, I've talked to guys in the dealer, and they tell me, Ron, it's, it's, it's $3,000 worth of hours to get the harness apart out on the bench and back in, and then you've actually got to repair it because you've got to take the entire car apart to get this harness out. So, you know, that to me, and it's becoming, it's becoming a known problem. All right, that you know you'll have this mysterious malady communication fault. They'll try every module in the car; nothing fixes it. So that just sort of makes me stand on my ear and go, "Okay, that car's out." So let me talk to you about what you should buy. <laughs> you you ready? Okay. What's sure. What's my budget? Uh, around fifteen. Fifteen. So fifteen for for used. Yeah. Um, so we can't have a midlife crisis and like go for like 50 G's and just go buy like an old school roadrunner or something. Well, we have a, um, a Spitfire here as well that I play with. Okay. So that, that's well, the toy. Well, if you have a Spitfire, then you, you, you're used to wiring harness and electrical problems. So <laughs> exactly. That's, you know, for you, this, for you, you know what, maybe you are the Dodge guy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, you're probably good at electrical at that point in the game. Um, but the other side of that is all, all seriousness, all, in all seriousness, all kidding around the side, Mike, it's a great car. If you can find a clean one, you know, I, I guess the argument can be made that everything has its issues. Everything has its picadillos. You know, uh, be cautious. Chrysler doesn't support parts going back very far, but that's going to be like a lot of these cars. You know, take the fastest Corvette out of the factory, these seventy, eighty, hundred thousand $100,000 wonders. 20 years from now, I don't know who's going to be driving them because nobody's going to have the computer chips or the wiring to repair them. So you look at the Chryslers and you say the same thing. Hey, you know what? Take the shot. For fifteen grand. buy it. Just buy something that's been maintained and something that's been taken care of. And uh, you should enjoy it because at 60, life gets shorter every day, I know from personal experience. Appreciate the call, sir, and thanks for the kind words. Hey, coming up next, John Robinson from General Tire. Everything you want to know about tires, stay tuned. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, we're coming back right after this. Nation, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here. You know, we're, we're talking tires all the time. Your questions are, are so on target and on tack as far as what you're looking for in a tire. And you've got some very specific questions, and you're looking for exact information. Well, we've reached out to one of the leaders in the tire industry, General Tire, and we're here today with John Robinson. John is a communication specialist from General Tire, and we're glad to have him aboard. He can answer all those questions you've been asking us and we've uh, stockpiled some of them, and uh, we've got a few of our own. So we welcome into the garage today John Robinson. John, welcome aboard. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, one of the things the listeners are always looking for is uh, the summer-only and or the winter-only tire. Is, is there such a thing as summer-specific or winter-specific-only tires? Absolutely. Uh, currently, we have, under the General Tire brand, we have an all-season ultra-high performance tire, but we have yet to introduce a summer only. But stay tuned because we will have something coming out in uh, the not-too-distant future that will fall exactly under that definition. And then from a winter standpoint, we do have our Ultimax Arctic and uh, the Arctic 
LT and such on the grabber side for trucks, and they are absolutely designed only for winter conditions. The compounds and the tread designs work specifically for 45 and under degrees. Uh, the compounds change literally uh, when the temperatures cool off in such a such seasons as, as winter, and then the tread compounds and the overall design of the tire and the siping are specifically designed to create and provide performance on ice and snow. Because as we all know, when you have tires that are not designed for that type of weather and that type of driving conditions, they don't always react the way that we expect them to or the way that we're used to them reacting under whether it be dry conditions or just typical rain. So the short answer to that question is yes, there are specific summer and winter tires and it does make a difference. Now, however, we we only recommend both of those tires if you're living in regions of the country that require that because you don't want to drive a winter tire that is going to uh, be used in conditions that are 50, 60, 70 degree weather on a regular basis because they will wear quickly and they will not perform the way they're des uh, specifically designed to. Same thing with summer tires. Uh, summer tires are really designed for dry conditions. Most of the time they have some sort of wet performance uh, capabilities to them as well. But like I said earlier, once the temperature changes and then you get snow and ice on the ground, uh, that's a whole different ballgame. John, if you're, a, if you're a Toyota Camry driver and or a Corvette driver, probably the two extremes I could think of today, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, are, are both of those drivers going to be looking for a summer and or a winter tire? Do they both fit that category? Well, obviously, the, the easiest part of that answer is the Corvette. More than likely, you're only going to drive that in ideal conditions where you can really have fun with it. So a summer tire for the Corvette is really going to be ideal. Uh, you can also go the all-season route as well. With the Camry, you can go, depending on sizing, you can go with a summer tire. But more than likely, that's your daily driver, and you're going to drive that under all types of conditions. So... If you have a summer tire or decide you want a summer tire on the Camry, as long as you have an alternative, if you're going to be driving it in winter conditions, uh, some people, depending on where they live, let's say up in the northeast or out in the, the western states, uh, Midwest, where they get a lot of snow, they will have a set of steel wheels with snow tires where they'll let's say October, November, they'll go ahead and pop those on and they're good to go. Uh, and then as things warm up in the spring, they'll switch back over to their summer tires. But usually I would say the best answer for a Camry would be an all-season tire, and then the best tire for a Corvette would be your summer tire. So, so some car types work better with specific seasonal tires, summer tires, winter tires, and that, that's one of the decisions the consumer has to make when they're deciding what tires to put on the vehicle. Absolutely. The consumer and the driver has to ask themselves, you know, how do I drive? How do I want this car to react? And what am I, what type of performance am I looking for this car to provide me? And, um, you know, every driver is different and, and people buy cars for specific purposes and the tires can't be overlooked for that. And the tires that come on the cars are designed to provide a specific performance. So everything's got to match up for everything to work out ideally for the consumer to get exactly what they want out of it. So they've got to be honest with themselves, and then we usually have a tire that's going to match that answer. So suffice it to say then, you know, other than just snow and ice, is there 
a specific time of year for winter tires? You know, what I'm thinking about is there are people out here that may live in a part of the country where they don't get snow and ice, but do they have a need for winter tires? Is that something they still need to consider? Well, in those areas where it's not as or they're not getting as much snow and ice, the all-season tire is going to provide them the performance that they need on those rare occasions where they get uh, those conditions. Now, if you're in an area, let's say in New England, where you've got several months' worth of cold temperatures and snow and ice actually on the ground, then that's where a winter tire and snow tire is really going to make the most sense. But usually it's that 45, 40-degree mark where the temperatures are consistently below that. And and there may not be any snow or ice on the ground, but it's those temperatures that we're looking at that is really the indicator for us to recommend the winter tires. And that's, and that's where it's, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and obviously at some point you're going to have snow and ice on the ground to, to coincide with that. But it's it's those compounds. Let's say if you have a summer tire in 40-degree weather, that compound is really or that tire is really going to harden up, and it's not going to allow the performance that it's designed for. Plus, it's not going to allow the performance of the vehicle that the driver is expecting. And that's why we're saying, you know, you really want to consider the winter tire if you're in those cold conditions because it's going to, provide that performance and it's going to adjust to those conditions to give you the performance that you need and expect. Because that that winter tire is has has a specific rubber compound for those colder right. temperatures. That that's that's really interesting. Uh, years ago, because I know I've got some diehards out there today that, you know, it's ah Ron, I don't need any of these winter summer tire things. I, you know, they had studded snows and chains. Can, sure. can a good winter tire be as effective the as as the old school studded snows and chains, which are probably illegal in parts of the country today. I think, uh, under certain conditions, you know, it's it's. Have we lost anything, or is the winter tire bringing that much and more to the table? Right. The well, you're right with the chains. Uh, you've got to look at the local laws to figure out where you can and can't use them. But you would be extremely surprised of the performance of some of these winter tires. And some of our tires are actually uh, allowed to be studded. So you still have the the holes where you can put the studs in and you get the additional performance of that, uh, particularly if there's a lot of ice on the on the ground. And, again, you've got to check the local laws for that. But the performance of some of the winter tires that are uh, on the market are just absolutely amazing. And if you've not been on them, you know, they we demonstrate these tires. We were just in Canada a couple of weeks ago where we uh, introduced a new Arctic 12 uh, Ultimax tire that will be ready for next winter season. And uh, we were driving those uh, actually on a couple different tracks. One, we used studded Arctic 12s on a rally car to get around a course, road course, that had snow and ice on it. And the grip was unbelievable, uh, especially with all that horsepower. And then we did some braking exercises that were basically on an outdoor ice rink. And, you know, the grip levels are pretty impressive. And then what we were demonstrating there was the stopping power. You know, because not only do you need to remember that you want the acceleration and you want to be able to move forward when you get on the gas pedal when you're in winter conditions, but you also have to be able to stop, too. Yeah, so. stop, stop is as important as go, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, sometimes that's even more important. Oh, yeah. So no doubt about it. Well, listen, we're going to come to that stop point for us, speaking of stopping, John. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time. Is there a place the listeners can get more information? 
There is. Uh, GeneralTire.com is our website. We have all kinds of information, all the tire information there, as well as social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, under General Tire, and we'd love to have uh, your viewers and, and listeners to check us out there. We provide a lot of information about a lot of different things, product-related as well as a lot of sponsorship activities that we're heavily involved in. Yeah, we appreciate that, too, and uh, we thank you for taking the time today, John. Great information, great stuff. John Robinson, Communication Specialist, General Tire. I'm Ron Anini and The Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anini and The Car Doctor. Thanks again to John Robinson and the folks over at General Tire. We appreciate them taking the time today. Let's get back to the busy phones. Let's go to James in Sioux City, Iowa, 04 Saturn, and some sort of an oil leak. James, welcome to The Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Um, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, I've been uh, chasing a, a, this leak on uh, the 2004 Saturn, and I don't seem to be losing enough to, to show on the dipstick, but I had called one of the big box uh, automotive parts store and looking for some kind of additive I could put to the oil to maybe try and see the exact source because it's, it scatters through the undercarriage, it seems like, but, and always collects on the front motor mount. So right. You're looking, looking for some help or advice on that. Yeah, you're looking for a fluorescent dye, right? You want to buy some fluorescent dye, add it to the crankcase oil. And then, you know, you might have to buy a, spare, a pair a pair of uh, glasses and then, you know, the black light kit. But for less than 100 bucks, you can diagnose this yourself. And, um, you know, that'll work. I mean, O'Reilly Auto Parts has it. I know for a fact I've seen it on their website. You're looking for oil dye um, or fluorescent dye, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, you know, and you just just, fall, it's, yeah. just wash it down, add the dye, and when you see the leak, you can just kind of trace it backwards. Get out to uh, just go out to O'ReillyAuto.com and you know look for oil additive or oil dye D Y E and you'll be good to go. You know because there's a That's lot of pla- there's a lot of places it could leak from James. So rather than me try to sure. you know see through the microphone, um, if yeah. we if we were in the shop having the having that conversation at the counter, and right. I'd seen yeah. you go through this, that's exactly where I would send you. Let's get some dye in it, right. and um, you know let's go yeah. through the process. All right, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I checked the cap uh, on the oil filter. It's good. Pulled the, the starter, the oil sensing unit. I'm wondering if it's oil sensing unit without taking it out. So yeah. that'll be great. I'll go with the, the O'Reilly's on the Internet and uh, get the parts on order. And go from there. And if you need any more help, we're here for you. Thank you very much, and thanks for being that a listener. You're very welcome, sir. Let's go to Paul in Texas, 2000 Ford Ranger. Paul, I guess this is a, te- I guess this is a Texas Ranger, but you knew I was going to say that. So. Um, I love I Texas. <laughs> I, I love, I, you've never heard that one before, right? So um, I love Texas. I love Rangers. I, um, uh, you know, matter of fact, that's where the Monte Carlo is coming out of Texas. What part of Texas are you from? Uh, Denton, the Fort Worth area. Now, where's that in relation to Houston? Uh, it's about four hours away, I presume, to the north. Yeah, you ever notice that? Everything in Texas is four hours away from everything else. You know, nothing in Texas is close to anything. The states, the place is so big. And that includes taxiing at the airport. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, you know, they, they lobby to take off at the airport. It takes them three hours to get to the runway because the, the runways are so long. It's everything in Texas is bigger. It really is. Best state in the union sometimes, I think. Um, but uh, we love you guys. What can I do for you today, sir? Well, I got the uh, 2000 Ford Ranger. Um, I got it off a, uh, a brother-in-law who decided to change his spark plugs. It didn't go too well. So I put a new donk in it, and that was at a two hundred thousand. And then I was driving down the road and uh, parked it, worked, and back tried to back it up. She wouldn't back up. Um, 
I messed with it, and then I kind of hit the overdrive button. She wanted to crawl back a little bit, and I'm like, okay, I can push it and, and get it going. But I wouldn't go forward with the overdrive button pressed in until I pressed it again, and then I could get all three gears going forward and get up to 60 uh, miles an hour, click the overdrive, and she'd just go forward as normal. But went through the same routine as it was uh, parked again. Somebody says it's a reverse um, band or something on that thing. Uh, could be. Any dashboard warning lights on? None. None. All right. So this sounds like this sounds like purely a mechanical failure of sorts. What color is the trans fluid? Uh, well, when I put the engine in thirty thousand ago, I drained it, cleaned it, you put everything back in again, and uh, so it's 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 a nice golden color, syrup color. This is this is this is a manual or an automatic? Uh, it's an auto. It's the four R forty four E. Okay. Trans. This- this should, this should, well, this should be a pink color. What color trans fluid you got in this car? Mm, the one that O'Reilly gave me. <laughs> um, uh, I can't remember the specs on it, but uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. Don't don't go anywhere, Paul. Let me pull over and let me let me go. Uh, let me follow the clock here. Let me pull over and take this pause. When we come back, we'll finish up with this eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Running into the car doctor. Coming right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on the name of the car doctor as we wind things down this hour. Paul from the great state of Texas. You're still there, sir? Yes, I am. We're talking with Paul, 2004 Ford Ranger. Problem won't go into reverse and it doesn't work in overdrive. That's a correct statement, Paul? Yes. No. So, you know, here's here's how I would approach this. With no warning lights on the dash, naturally I'm going to do a code scan anyway. Just why not? All right. It doesn't hurt. And just to verify there's nothing there. On the chance that there's nothing there, yes, I agree. This sounds like a mechanical failure. Now, this should have Merc 5 trans fluid in it. I know of no automatic transmission fluid that's yellow or gold that I would ever conceivably consider putting into a Ford product. So I'm not sure if we've miscommunicated or if they've got the wrong fluid in that or if the fluid is just so dark because it's actually something's failing in the trans and it's discolored the fluid that that's just what you're seeing so that being said the fluid color is a concern but at this point it's not going to really matter because if the fluid is caused if the fluid has changed color as a result of the trans environment the trans is coming apart anyway how many miles are on this trans um be 256,000 yeah i think you probably need a trans paul is, is where this is going. But let me let me tell you my logic for where I, for the direction I'm sending you. There's no fault codes, so I don't I don't see how this can be something electronic or electrical. All right. The fact that it doesn't work in reverse or overdrive, but the first you know, first, second and third work tell me that it's not a filter, it's not a pump issue. Could be a pressure issue, but that doesn't matter. The trans has to come apart anyway. But, yeah. you know, bottom line comes back to it's it's not that the filter fell out or the filter cracked or, you know, once in a while you'll get a trans that shifts funny or doesn't work on certain temperatures. You start thinking about filter failure or filter O-ring failure, things like that. I don't think that's what you got. I think you've got an internal trans fault. So make sure you've got the right trans fluid in there. All right, it's not going to matter at this point, but just verify fluid and make sure we're on the same page there. And then at that point, the trans has got to come apart for an overhaul. And uh, you should be good to go. Hey, another quick hour. Till the next time, I'm Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Mechanics.